Over the course of the last six months, some of our listeners have been sending in questions and we've picked out the most common of them to address in this episode. And these questions come from people in HR, training and development and coaching. Welcome to Emotional Intelligence at Work, brought to you by Genos International. Ben, it is good to see you again. How are you? Very good, Marie. It's great to be back with you. I'm looking forward to doing this one with you. Thank you to everyone who's sending the question. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for spending that time. Our first question is from Adam. Hi, Ben and Marie. If I want to develop better emotional intelligence, where should I start? Well, thank you, Adam, for that question. I think the place to start is with your own self-awareness, becoming more aware of the things that create emotions for you. And that involves stopping and reflecting, keeping a bit of a diary, a bit of a journal. And it involves getting to know the sorts of things that help you construct emotions, if you like. Your life experiences, reflecting on your values and beliefs, how those kind of create and inform and bring, if you like, different emotions to you. I think the other thing, Adam, to really focus on is then how are you responding to emotions? Are you being intentional or emotional? I think emotional intelligence is not about being emotional. It's about experiencing emotions and responding to them the way you want to. So let me share something, Adam, about myself. When I'm not paying attention, when I'm on autopilot and my partner comes home and criticizes how I'm managing our kids, for example, I usually feel annoyed and I get defensive. So I start explaining to her in very long-winded ways why the approach I'm taking is the right approach to take. What I've noticed about that reflection and about that noticing the thing that I create the emotion around, the emotion itself and my response to it, is that if I overuse that, it's detrimental to my relationship and to my personal growth. So I hope that's a bit of a window into the sorts of little things that you can begin to do to really develop up your emotional intelligence. What it's helping me do is shift from being defensive to open. And I love thinking about single words that really kind of define, if you like, the opposite of your natural response. So if your natural response is to be pushy, or if your natural response is to be impatient, or if your natural response is to be defensive or to attack, just think about the opposite of word to those. So the opposite of defensiveness is openness. The opposite of feeling insecure is to be confident. And that's the first place, then defining what that looks like for yourself and what you see yourself doing. That's the essence, Adam, of emotional intelligence. Awesome. Our next question is from Stephanie. Hi, Ben and Marie. I know people that seem to be very low in their AIs and others that are high. Is emotional intelligence an ability that some people have in greater levels than others? Thanks. I think we all have a little bit of a natural set point with emotional intelligence, absolutely. Some people are naturally better at perceiving, understanding, responding to emotions. However, we also know from research that only 10% of your emotional intelligence is made up by the genes that you have. In other words, only 10% of it seems to be heritable. Mm -hmm. We learn to be emotionally intelligent through our life experiences and through different things that help us think about, understand and regulate our emotions. So 
whilst we all have a bit of a natural set point, we can all develop it. We all have emotional intelligence. It's mm-hmm. like the fingerprints on our hands. It's all very unique to us, but we all kind of know it when we see it. We all mm-hmm. sort of know low EI when we see it. We all know high EI when we see it. But on average, emotional intelligence has been shown to be developed by 17 percentile points. So the research of the research or meta-analytic studies, Stephanie, has shown that the average person through an average program that's a reasonable program on AI can develop it by 17 percentile points. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll know that that's the sort of thing that's been helping teams like the Phoenix Suns go from pretty mediocre spots on the ladder to just missing out on the NBA grand final. And we know that it's been helping companies go from you know losing staff to keeping staff, turning up the dial on emotional intelligence to draw on the tagline of Genos is game-changing for business and life-changing for people. Our next question is from Angela. Hello, Marie and Ben. My name's Angela and I work in public relations. I was just wondering whether you think gender and age influence a person's emotional intelligence? Yes, it does, Angela, in very interesting ways. Let's talk about age firstly. So if you think about the fact that we develop our emotional intelligence, there is a very slight correlation between age and levels of emotional intelligence. So we do naturally, over the course of our life, learn how to perceive, understand and respond to emotions. But interestingly, unlike our IQ that tends to drop off a little bit earlier, like at the age of about 35, 40, very slowly starts to to come back a bit. Our EQ keeps developing up and through to the 60s and sometimes even a bit beyond. It does improve with age. That's generally what you see in large data. Of course, there are always outliers. There are people who defy Mm. the trends, but generally it develops with age. And then speaking to the gender question, Angela, women tend to be more emotionally intelligent than men on average. Again, that's what you see in large data. One of my favourite workshop activities, Angela, to do at the beginning of a program on emotional intelligence is called the 24-hour feelings exercise. And I invite everyone to reflect on the last 24 hours, think about the feelings that they've been having, what their day's been like, et cetera. And then I give people 60 seconds to try and recall as many feelings they can recall feeling over the last 24 hours. So what I typically find after 20 years of doing that experience and that activity is that typically women recall about 12 emotions on average and men about eight. So women do tend to outperform men, particularly on things like self-awareness, emotional self-awareness, particularly on things like empathy and the capacity to perceive and understand emotions. Men and women tend to be relatively similar on things like managing emotions within oneself, interestingly, but generally, overall, women slightly outperform men. I wonder if you ask that question today after lockdowns in Australia are starting to lift and kids are going to school, if you asked somebody how many emotions did you experience in the last 60 minutes, how many you'd get back? Well, yes, I think, you know, that lockdown has been an incredibly emotional time for a lot of people, sometimes in pleasant, sometimes probably more often than not in unpleasant ways. And I think one of the consequences of it, particularly for young kids, I don't have any research evidence to point to, just anecdotal comments, but a lot of parents at the school gate talking about heightened levels of social anxiety amongst children, Mm -hmm. withdrawnness at school, and generally kind of, you know, 
not having those face-to-face interactions to the same degree and frequency, I think, has pulled back Mm. potentially kids' natural social skills. And I think that's one thing that schools, in my humble opinion, should really focus on in 2022 is building the social-emotional skills back up of children who have missed, in some cases, six months of interacting with their peers throughout the year. Yeah. Next up, we have Daniel. Hi, Ben and Marie. My question is, can you develop your emotional intelligence through self-study or do you need to undertake a program? I think like anything, you can teach yourself to play the guitar, you can teach yourself to play the piano, and I think you can teach yourself to be more emotionally intelligent. However, like playing the guitar and like playing the piano, it's probably accelerated and finessed a little bit more by a good teacher, by a good coach, by a good therapist. So... I think, you know, the simple answer to that, Daniel, is yes, of course, you can self-develop your EI. There are self-paced courses. There are Coursera courses. Richard Boyatzis, who we've had on the program, Marie, he's got a great free Coursera course on emotional intelligence that I know has been a very popular self-development program. And I think we can. You know, the thing about knowledge is it's been commoditized, hasn't it, uh, with the internet. However, I don't think we should also lose sight of just how beneficial it can be and how much it can accelerate that development. To have someone who really has a formal background in it and formal knowledge of how to develop it, assisting us and helping us along the way. We have a question from Brooke. Is it possible to get a measurement of emotional intelligence like you can with IQ? It is possible. There are three different types of ways you can kind of measure emotional intelligence at the moment. There are so-called ability tests that really do work on looking at your actual ability with emotions, your ability to read emotions in faces, your ability to understand what the right choice, kind of emotionally intelligent choice is in vignettes and things like that. Probably one of the most famous of them is called the Mayer-Selvey-Caruso Emotional Intelligence Test or Mesquite. So you can measure it a little bit like IQ. Those instruments do work a bit differently than traditional IQ tests. They don't have something called veridical scoring. What veridical scoring is, but an IQ test works by presenting to you problems to solve or questions to answer that become harder and harder and harder. And an IQ test typically works by finding that tipping point where you can no longer accurately respond to the questions. We haven't quite got that for emotional intelligence simply because there's really no right way to feel in any particular situation. And, you know, emotions are highly contextual. But there are some instruments like the Mesquite out there that can measure emotional abilities. In fact, one of the first ability emotional intelligence tests, in my opinion, was used by the British Air Force to select fighter pilots. They used a thing called a tesistoscope that can flash images at you and you can turn up the time and reduce the amount of time that those images are seen. And the way this instrument used to work is they would flash an emotional image at you and ask you to guess whether the image was pleasant or unpleasant in Mm -hmm. its sort of emotional nature. And what they found with the desistoscope is that there were some people who you would flash the image at so quickly that they couldn't tell you whether they saw anything or not, but they could accurately guess whether the picture was pleasant or unpleasant. And that speaks to, I think, the kind of emotional systems of the brain and how kind of brainstem oriented they, they kind of are. And anyway, the British... 
Air Force used to use this test because what they found is that people who were very emotionally perceptive, you know, had that very high information processing speed with emotions, were very resilient and could manage stress very well in fighter aircraft. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of a little bit of the history wow. of emotional ability tests. Yeah. That's super interesting. And were they interested, when you say what the emotional nature of the image was, is it in terms of how the person felt when they saw the image? Well, yes, I think to say whether an emotion, emotional image was a pleasant image or an unpleasant image, obviously you need to have knowledge of events and a knowledge and understanding of the sorts of things that are typically pleasant and unpleasant. So mm. what's really going on there is very quick kind of emotional processing speed. You know, you're going into the memory bank, you're thinking about what you've seen and you're you know, based through your life experiences and your understanding of events, you're indicating whether it was pleasant or unpleasant. Whether you're experiencing an emotion yourself, I don't think they looked at in that study and that would be a very interesting question, Marie. But it speaks to the fact that there are emotional abilities like IQ mm -hmm. type abilities. We also know with IQ that um, if you have a high IQ, you will process information more quickly and more efficiently. So people with high IQs use less blood glucose to process IQ type information. You know, mm -hmm. they read something and they process it and can respond to it very quickly and very efficiently from a brain fuel kind of perspective. And I guess what we're seeing with that Scope study and others like it is that people with high levels of emotional intelligence process emotional information very quickly and efficiently. Our next question is from Renuli. Hi, Ben and Marie. I was just wondering whether there was a link between personality and emotional intelligence. For example, is it easier for an extrovert to be emotionally intelligent than an introvert? Thanks so much. It's a great question, Renuli, and I thank you for it. There are people out there, and indeed academics, who say that emotional intelligence is personality, that it's a constellation of different kind of personality traits, if you like. I personally think that that is BS, to use that vernacular or that Australian expression. I don't think it's just Australian. That is to say, I think, let's take extroversion, introversion by way of example. You might naturally think that perhaps extroverts are more emotionally intelligent than introverts. No, I don't buy on it. I know extroverts who are and aren't emotionally intelligent and introverts who are and aren't emotionally intelligent. I think your emotional intelligence is best thought of as a set of skills and capabilities to do with emotions. And I define it that way very deliberately because, number one, 90% of it is something we learn. 10% of it is heritable. Number two, we know it develops with age. And number three, we know it develops through life experiences, the birth of a child, the death of a loved one, and so on. And indeed, one of the things you can do to develop your own emotional intelligence is intentionally engage in emotional experiences. I love watching the golden buzzer moments in uh, YouTube, the talent shows, they make me cry. <laughs> They're the best. Yesterday we had a very special event in Australia. A little girl was abducted and she was found 18 days later alive and well and seemingly relatively unscarred from the incident. I don't know about you, Marie, but when I heard that, I just had to stop and have a little cry uh, at the desk and I think there was a lot of teary eyes around the nation. Sorry, this is a long-winded way, Renal, of saying I think emotional intelligence is best thought of as a set of skills and capabilities 
And the relationship to personality is not one where different personalities are more emotionally intelligent than others. I think there's a great link between our emotional intelligence and our personality, but I see the link more like this, that your personality plays a large role in the emotions you experience. So getting to understand your personality helps you think more deeply about the emotions you have. So for example, one of the big primary needs that underpins our personality is the need for affiliation. If you have a high need for affiliation, you tend to be more extroverted. So what does that mean? It means your preference, your focus is more heart-based. You tend to be more open, more accepting, more receptive of what people have to say. When something goes wrong, you think about what's the impact on people. If you have a low need for affiliation, and I have a low need for affiliation, your natural set point more is to think about what needs to be done. When someone says something, you tend to be more questioning and sceptical rather than receptive and open. So by understanding where you sit on a dimension of personality like that, you can begin to understand more deeply the emotions you experience. If you're high in affiliation and you work for a boss who's very task-focused, mm-hmm. you might feel a bit unloved because you're expecting someone to be people-focused and they're task-focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, you're very task-focused and you have a boss who's high in affiliation, you might be thinking all this boss is interested in is being popular and being nice and you get frustrated mm-hmm. by them. So by understanding your personality, what you do get a better sense of is the emotions you create because your personality is really like a filter with which you view the world. And so that's the connection I see, Renal, between personality and emotional intelligence. But I don't see a connection between what personality you have and what level of emotional intelligence you have. So then... Does that mean we should be doing a personality assessment before or during doing an emotional intelligence one? Absolutely, Marie. When we do our emotional intelligence courses, we get people to think about where they sit on the need for affiliation and the need for control. We actually get them to do a bit of a personality assessment on themselves Mm -hmm. as a way of, as a window to developing up better emotional self-awareness. Right. Yeah. So I have a high need for control. Okay, wow, that's helping me understand why I don't feel comfortable when I'm not in control of the process or Mm -hmm. when something changes and the environment's ambiguous. I've got a low need for control. You know, I can now feel, you know, I get emotional when people make decisions very quickly because when you've got a low need for control, you tend to be more methodical, calm, deliberate and careful. You've got a high need for control. You tend to make decisions quickly and readily. You don't like indecisiveness. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So doing a personality test as a part of developing your emotional intelligence is very important. But your personality doesn't define your level of emotional intelligence. You can use it as a vehicle to develop it. Got it. Can an individual do a Genos emotional intelligence assessment for their own personal needs and use or does it have to be part of a workplace scenario? No, they can come onto our website, make an inquiry through support at janosinternational.com. We'll set up an assessment for you and debrief you on it. Absolutely. You don't have to be a business to deal with Janos International. We've had some people contact us, Ben, with some scenarios they want your advice on. Sadly, not my advice, (laughs) but they want the expert advice. Well, experts do very silly things is all I can say. Not in your case, mate. 
my advice would be very dangerous. We have Stephen who's sharing his situation with us. Hi, Ben and Marie. I work in HR. I want to introduce some form of EI screening into our recruitment process, particularly for key roles. What advice can you offer on how this has been successfully achieved in other organisations? There are instruments out there and we have an instrument that you can use in external hires and looking at people uh, for your business. And I think they are a really valuable contribution to the decision-making process. I think the big question often abounds, what sort of weight should we place on the assessment? And I think the answer to that is probably about 25%. In other words, you probably should place a quarter of your decision based on some sort of EI assessment. Now, that assessment can be both a psychometric instrument, like the general selection assessment. It can also be an interview. We like to run behavioural-based interviews around emotional intelligence, and I'll share a couple of those questions in a moment with you. And we also, you know, advise doing things like role plays, simulations, sort of exercises that kind of tease out, if you like, um, levels of EI. And I think it's that, that combination of things like that, sort of reference checking, the, uh, a psychometric and some sort of interview or role play. It's the combination of those things that businesses who are really getting this right do. With your interview questions, you know, tell us about a time when you're in an emotional situation. What do you do? Useless. It's much better to have questions that come into a range of kind of skill sets. Let us share one with you around self-awareness. So what is emotional self-awareness and why is it important to you? What are we tasking with that question? We're asking about knowledge. Does the person understand what emotional self-awareness is and why is it important? Right? The next question gets a layer deeper. What things can you do to develop your emotional self-awareness? Right. The responses we're looking for there are things like, oh, you know, you can stop and reflect on the way you feel. You can take an emotional intelligence instrument. You can get feedback from others. You can get to understand your values, your personality and belief because they shape, you know, the way you experience emotions and so on. So there you're looking for, has this person done some sort of self-development, for example? Third question, and this is the kicker, what have you done to develop your emotional self-awareness and what have you learned about yourself through that process? So that sort of questioning technique that's looking for the knowledge, looking for has the person done any real development work around this and then what have they learned about themselves? I find it's those kind of questioning that really help you ascertain whether someone has this or not. People who have rehearsed for interviews usually will stumble on one or two of those questions, particularly the what have you done and learned about yourself question. Well, if anybody listening has a job interview coming up, you have the answers there. You're going to kill it. <laughs> Our next question is from Daniel. Hi, Ben and Marie. I'm a semi-pro soccer player playing in the National Premier Leagues as a goalkeeper. I heard your episode on the NBA and emotional intelligence and found it very interesting. I've dealt with coaches who lack empathy and have little self-awareness of how their feelings and actions impact the team. So my question is, how might developing my own emotional intelligence help me to deal with this and where do I start? Great question, Daniel. I think if you do either self-paced or formal learning on AI, you know, you naturally start to get the tools and techniques of it and that allows you to bring it to others. So let me use an example that we've been using in education. There's a bit of a metaphor for it. So 
in education, one of the courses we've been running that's kind of adjacent to emotional intelligence is how do you bring different perspectives together where, you know, those perspectives are often different and how do you influence and shift those perspectives? One of the things that we do in that program is teach people about mindsets, what a fixed mindset sounds like and what an open mindset sounds like. Then we start to introduce material that helps you not only pick up on the mindset, but reflect it back to someone. When you say that can't be done, I'm hearing a fixed mindset. What sort of words and phrases would we use if we had a more open mindset towards this? You know, that can't be done could be, ooh, what could be done by way of example? Mm-hmm. So I hope this is answering the question, Marie and Daniel, but I think you know, formal learning on AI gives you the tools and techniques and the language that you can then start to apply to to others. And then elite sports, I think one of the things that we got from Jeff Bowers being on the show is that it's important to really get everyone around a professional sports team or a semi-professional sports team across concepts that give you the language for emotional intelligence, the reflection for emotional intelligence that allows you to kind of call out each other's behaviour in a safe way and ask for different behaviour, if you like. Does that make sense, Marie? It makes perfect sense. My question back to Daniel, and it's good that we have an expert in the room, (laughs) mine would be why do you even need to develop your emotional intelligence if the coach is the problem? This is where I get in trouble. I probably would have sent an email with a link to genosinternational.com and said, coach, maybe you need to do a bit of research. Yeah, well, I think developing up someone or helping someone who hasn't got high levels of EI kind of experience and see and understand that requires high levels of EI. Otherwise, you got the pot calling the kettle black. Did I get that mm. saying right? Yeah. You know, like got to look at the, the person in the mirror first, right, before you start working on others. And I think, yeah, as I was saying, working on your own EI gives you the tools and techniques and the language and, and the finesse that you need to call out unemotionally intelligent behaviour in others. I think it's one thing to call it out. It's another thing to call it out and offer advice in a way that someone is open to, receptive to, not defensive to, and is really interested in doing something that requires high levels of finesse. Could you, though, as somebody on a sports team or just somebody in the workplace, raise or suggest these issues to someone else? Sure. I mean, I think a lot of organisations have a bit of a confidant. Sometimes they're HR, sometimes they're not. Mm. But, um, you know, I think everyone at work needs, and if you haven't got one, you've got to work on it, a trusted advisor, you know, someone that you can go to and confidentially share this kind of stuff with. Yeah. And sometimes even role play and practice. There's nothing like rehearsal to make you better at tackling the issue. So for Daniel's sake, getting someone to play the role of that difficult coach or whoever and rehearsing what you'd say, how you'd say it, what might mm-hmm. come back, how you would handle what might come back and, you know, yeah. make the conversation effective. In our own programs on this, we talk about the three C's, courage, curiosity and collaboration. Courage to say this is what I'm experiencing and what it means for me. Courage to, you know, put your view and opinion out there. Curiosity, how do you feel? What do you see? What's your Mm. perspective on it? And collaboration being, you know, what I'm asking for 
is for us to work collaboratively to sense make to understand where each other's coming from and to see if we can arrive at a better way of doing things for each other. Natalie has shared a situation she's got with team turnover. Hi, Ben and Marie. I live of people who are customer facing in their work. And every day I'm drawn into situations where I need to support my team and manage customer complaints. I find my work draining and I have a high turnover across my team. Could developing EI be helpful for me and my staff? Yeah, absolutely. If you listen to the podcast that we did with Neil from Quelly on education, you know, sounds like a similar environment, high levels of emotional labour, high levels of emotional regulation, working on things like self-awareness and in particular self-management skills can be highly valuable in those kind of roles. So getting people to work on their mental well-being, their physical well-being, their social well-being, their environmental well-being uh, can be really, really important, but also their, their self-awareness. I think EI programs are very, very poignant, very useful, very valuable to people working in those kind of environments. Natalie, we've done a lot of work in customer contact centres this year around emotional intelligence and the focus of that work has really been about understanding yourself, the impact this stuff has and the sorts of things that you can do for yourself to help you better manage that kind of emotional regulation that's required. Simple things like six deep breaths after you get off a difficult call before you get into the next one. Things like making sure that your sleep, your exercise and your diet is as effective as it can be. Working on things like boundaries, you know, giving people scripts and giving people the okay to say, I'm sorry, but if you're going to raise your voice at me, we can't continue the call. Those sorts of things are really, really powerful. They're very empowering and they're very important for people who work in that kind of space. What does the research say about emotionally intelligent teams and tenure? It's an interesting question. I see more research around emotional intelligence teams and performance than tenure. But generally, you know, I think people leave organisations when they don't get along well with the boss, when the boss is unemotionally intelligent. But not just that, when team members aren't emotionally intelligent either. So I think when you get people who are, you know, talking on the, at the water cooler rather than talking directly to each other, when you get team members who are naysayers and picky and overly critical, when you get team members who are um, blunt and rude and disregarding, you get team members who don't demonstrate levels of empathy and respect for others, this causes people to leave organisations as much as a bad manager, but it gets less talked about, Marine. So generally, yeah, I think there is a relationship between how emotionally intelligent the team is and tenure, absolutely. And I think teams that have high levels of emotional intelligence, in other words, you know, not just the collective AI of the individuals, I think teams with like high team AI is more defined as having, you know, rituals and routines and things like that that really guide emotionally intelligent behaviour. Psychological safety. So a ritual and routine could be, for example, and organisations that have a big focus on safety have their version of this called safety shares, you know, where you share an incident around safety at the beginning of every meeting. These are protocols, they're kind of rituals and routines. I think teams who have rituals and routines around emotional intelligence before they kick off any meeting 
How are we going? Is there anything weighing on our mind? Anything we're grateful for? What's something we've learned this last week? You know, they have kind of emotional check-ins, for example. They're well facilitated. You know, they draw on each other's ideas. And more than anything, I think emotionally intelligent teams call out each other's dysfunctional behaviour and ask for it to be different, That, in my opinion. Wherever there are people, there is conflict. Even in the most emotionally intelligent teams, you still get unemotionally intelligent behaviour within the group. But I think the difference is that in an emotionally intelligent team, people feel comfortable to call it out. And when it is called out, people stop, people listen, and people respond in an emotionally intelligent way. Our final two questions, Ben, are about Genos. So Brent has called in and is interested in ongoing support. Here's what he's asked. Hi, Ben and Marie. I've been through my Genos assessment and found the feedback very useful. My question is whether Genos offer support to people like me who've received feedback and want to continue the development. Absolutely. We do have one-on-one coaching, which again, you can just bring up and ask for directly. And obviously we have programs, but for individuals who are looking for extra support, we have one-on-one coaching. Of course, we have a LinkedIn group as well. We have a practitioner group. And I know that there's a lot of self-support that goes on with that group, with the sharing of ideas and articles and courseware and, and things like that. So, you know, please join our LinkedIn group and our Facebook page. And uh, if you'd like something more formal, come to us for some one-on-one coaching. We'll include these links in the description of this podcast episode too. So if you're interested, head there and find us online. Our final question is from Anjali. Hi, Ben and Marie. I lead a team and would like to support them develop collective EI. Is Genos able to support the development of my team? And if so, how? Yes, absolutely, Anjali. Through our Applied Emotional Intelligence Program, this program involves six two-hour sessions spread out over about three months. We get people together to work in as a team on their self-awareness, on their awareness of others, on their authenticity and speaking up, on their capacity to reason with emotions, and emotional information, how to make good decisions at a team level, how to manage emotions within oneself and how to be a positive influence. And in our team workshops that we do, we do a lot on those rituals and routines that I was talking about before. In other words, those sort of team norms, if you like, with emotions, like doing an emotional check-in at the beginning of meetings just to make sure everyone's, you know, or not to make sure, to understand the emotional place that people are in. Fantastic. Well, Ben, that's all our questions for today. Thank you to everybody who submitted a question. Thank you, Ben, for those really insightful and articulate answers. I know I've learned a lot. Well, I've been reflecting and thinking a lot from the questions too. So as Marie said, thank you to everyone who sent in questions. We hope you enjoy the episode and thanks for listening once again. Great. And if you have any questions, keep sending them in. We'll include links to an app where you can record your questions, send them in, and we'll attempt to answer them. Thanks, everyone. Bye, Ben.